Lamar, this is delicious. I'd say this is the best Chinese food I've had in a long time. Well, I hoped you'd like it. Meg and Jan and I come here for dinner from time to time, but I think this is the first time I've had lunch here. Even the prices are good, and that's good because it's my turn to buy. Well, since you insist, I won't wrestle you for it. <laughs> By the way, I've uh, I've got a book report ready for you. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've, I've read the book uh, that you recommended, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, by Josh McDowell. Uh-huh. And your verdict? Well, I reread the evidence for the resurrection and came away with even a stronger sense than I have got the first time that it's quite a convincing case. As incredible as it seems, it looks to me like it really happened. Does that mean that you're convinced that Jesus came back to life like he predicted he would? Well, I guess that depends on what you mean by convinced. But when you put together that evidence with all of the prophecies he fulfilled, it's hard to escape the conclusion that this whole thing really happened. Yet I sense a hesitancy still, uh, a feeling that you're not ready to say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is God. Well, once again, you're very perceptive. I can't seem to let myself follow that path yet because I still have more nagging questions. For instance, remember our last conversation on my question about the... The, uh, the narrowness of Christianity? Yeah, that's it. You made a very logical and reasonable case that if Jesus Christ is not what he claims to be, then he's uh, not a good teacher, but he must be either a lunatic or a liar. But if he is what he claims to be... Well, then he must actually be God and the only way to get to God. But... But what about the people who have never heard? People who grow up in some isolated jungle or who lived a thousand years before Jesus lived? Do you believe that they're excluded when they haven't even had a chance to hear? And if they are excluded? Then that's unfair. I can't buy into a belief system that claims God is loving and fair on the one hand and then takes it away on the other. And what exactly do you see that's unfair about the Bible's position? Well, as I understand it, Jesus claimed to be God and to offer the ultimate and the only way to heaven. Yes. Well, you believe that if you don't believe in Jesus, whatever believe means... Well, that's another important discussion, by the way, understanding and, and defining belief. Another day, another discussion. <laughs> but, but if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't make it to heaven according to your position. Not according to my position... I didn't come up with that claim. Jesus Christ said it. It would be arrogant if I came up with something like that. But if he really is who he claims to be, namely God, then it's not arrogance. It's simply a statement of fact. Okay, I understand. But the point is, he said you have to believe in him, right? Right. Well, what's so unfair about that is that millions or even billions of people have never heard. They've been condemned without even a chance to hear. Well, that would be grossly unfair if someone were to be condemned based on information they didn't have any access to. But the Bible says people will only be judged based on their response to the light they've been given. For instance, the New Testament says that Jews who had access to the Torah, God's written law, would be held accountable to that standard. Now, do you agree that that's fair? Well, yes, but what about the non-Jews who were never exposed to that information? If they were never exposed to the written law then they wouldn't be held accountable to it. Then what would they be held accountable to? To the law written on the heart. Well, you mean conscience? Yes. The Bible says that God has given all people everywhere an internal knowledge, not only of his existence, but of right and wrong. 
and that's the standard to which they'd be held accountable, not the written one. If that's the case, this sounds much more fair than I thought. But do people everywhere really have access to knowledge of God and conscience? I mean, after all, our consciences have been uh, shaped by information that's completely unavailable in some cultures. Well, I admit that there are some differences from culture to culture. But the Bible indicates that everyone everywhere knows right from wrong. You can't always tell what a person's moral standard is by what they say about right and wrong or by the way they treat others, but by the way they expect to be treated and by their criticisms of other people's behavior. Okay. Can you give me an example? Well, for instance, suppose a man worked for three days to catch an animal so he could feed his family, and as he's dragging his kill back through the jungle, his neighbor sneaks up from behind, knocks him out, and steals his family's dinner. It would be an understatement to say that the guy who got robbed would be critical of his attacker. He'd call him a thief and a cheat. And that would be evidence of an innate standard of fairness. Now, since he has a standard of fairness built into his conscience, evidenced by his criticism of another person, it would be fair to judge him by that same standard. Okay, I think I get it, but how about running that by me one more time? Well, let me try it a different way. Let's imagine that everyone in the world has an invisible tape recorder wired to them and that this recorder is criticism activated. You mean it would record every criticism that the person uttered? Exactly. Every time he criticizes somebody. Okay. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, the point was that at the end of a person's life, if all the recorded criticisms were transcribed onto a piece of paper, there you would have that person's real internal standard. That would then comprise a fair standard to which he could be held accountable. It's an interesting idea. Would anyone anywhere measure up to the standard of what they criticized others for, do you think? I see your point. Well taken. I've noticed that sometimes the things that irritate me most in other people are the very things that I'm guilty of doing. You just see things in others more readily. Exactly. I've noticed the same thing. I can see there would be an awareness of some standard of right and wrong for everybody. But how can you say that people everywhere can know about God? That's what we're talking about. Well, this goes back somewhat to our discussion about the existence of God. You don't have to be in a technologically sophisticated culture and know about the Big Bang to draw conclusions about a creator. In fact, some of those hints of God are so pervasive and powerful It actually took some very clever and sophisticated people in the 19th and 20th centuries to attempt to explain all those hints and evidence away. Bill, these hints you're talking about, things like? Well, like this huge universe, uh, the stars, the moon, the mountains, the trees, the order of nature, uh, the birth of a baby. Well, you're saying the pygmy in Africa could observe these same things as easily as we do or come to think of it maybe even more easily than us technologically advanced city slickers. But what's the point of all this? Well, the point was that while God won't judge somebody by a standard that they don't possess, it is fair if he judges them by what they do know. And everyone does know something about God and something about right and wrong. So you're saying God won't condemn illiterate natives for not believing in a Christ they haven't heard of, that he will only judge people by the information they have. Exactly. Well, I like that. Does that mean then that they'll be okay without hearing about Christ? No, I can't say that. Let me put it this way. I don't measure up to the standard I have access to, which is the Bible. 
the Jew doesn't measure up to the standard he has access to, the, the Torah. Well, the pygmy doesn't measure up to the unwritten standard that he has either. I'm starting to see a common denominator here. <laughs> well, the point the Bible makes isn't that they're okay, but that God is fair when he judges us all. None of us measures to what we know is right and good. The old line, I'm okay, you're okay, turns out to be wrong. I'm not okay, and you're not okay, and neither is a pygmy in Africa. But if that's the case, what hope is there for anyone? The hope is Jesus Christ. But it's impossible for some people to ever even hear about him. Impossible? Yes, as far as I can see, there, there has to be another way. Religions around the world more are all moralistic. They say in one way or another, here's how you should live, do this, and, and you'll make it. But the problem is nobody qualifies. What Jesus said that was so radically different was, in effect, I know you've all failed, it's not okay, and everybody deserves condemnation. But I've come to the earth to pay the penalty for you. If you'll ad admit your guilt and receive the pardon, I'll forgive you forever. There is no other way. And then the last thing Jesus told his disciples to do was to get the word out, not only to their fellow Jews, but to everyone everywhere on the face of the earth. But, Bill, how will everybody on the face of the earth hear? I admit that everyone could know something about God and something about right and wrong, but if they need this payment by Jesus Christ himself for forgiveness and they've never even heard of him, what hope will they have? Well, Lamar, the Bible not only tells us about God's solution through Jesus Christ, it tells us about how eager he is for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open, and ask and you'll receive. If you look back in the Hebrew Scriptures, you find that God is looking back and forth across the whole earth to find anybody that seeks after him. And his promise is that if somebody truly responds to what little light they may have, more light will be given. In fact, God has obligated himself to get the rest of the story to anybody who seeks. Are you talking about missionaries? Well, yes. People are the primary means God uses to get his message out. But how would a human being here in this country know who was seeking and where to find him? Well, let's use an example a little closer to home. Good. I like examples. <laughs> well, this example comes in the form of three questions. First, is it possible that there's someone here in our fair city who's never heard about Jesus Christ? Well, um, I doubt it. Everybody knows the name, if only as a curse word. I don't just mean heard the name. I mean heard the message of his love and sacrificial death and his offer of forgiveness and eternal life. Defined that way? Sure, it's possible someone here has never heard about Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure I'd ever really heard that message before we started these conversations. I agree. As a matter of fact, I've actually talked to lots of people here in our fair city who have never heard. Okay, that's question one. What's question two? Well, the second question is, could a person here, let's call him Sam Jones, who's never heard about Jesus Christ, reach out to God and ask for information or help? Perhaps he's experiencing emptiness of soul in the midst of material success, for instance. Could he cry out, God, if you're really there and if it's possible to have some personal, real connection with you, I'd like to know how? Well, sure. And as a matter of fact, that's not too far from where I am either. Okay, third question. If this Sam Jones, who'd never heard about Jesus Christ, asked for more information, 
Do you think God could somehow hook him up with someone who did know about Jesus Christ so he could pass on the message? I mean, is that possible? Well, sure, I guess. I don't see where that'd be very tough at all and perhaps might even get some good Chinese food in the process. <laughs> well, if God's God, if he created the world and everything in it, and if he could get the message to Sam Jones here in, in our city, why couldn't the God who made the whole world get the message to somebody on the other side of it from us? It's a big problem for you and me, but not a big problem for an all-knowing and all-powerful God. Couldn't God get the job done if he wanted to? Well, I see your point, at least theoretically, but I can't imagine it actually happening. Are there any known instances of this? Well, in the Hebrew Scriptures, which are focused on the chosen people, the Jews, we find concern on God's part for others. The prophet Jonah, for instance, was sent to warn the Ninevites, who were enemies of Israel, of impending doom unless they repented and turned to the one true God. In the New Testament, there's an example of Cornelius, who was a high-ranking Roman soldier, a non-Jew, who believed in and, and worshipped the God of the Jews, but he didn't know about the Messiah's coming and the Messiah's payment for sin. Well, Peter was supernaturally sent to this man to tell him the rest of the story, even though Peter and the other Jewish Christians in the early church were prejudiced against the Gentiles and had to travel some distance to meet with him. Okay, but have you ever heard of this kind of thing happening in modern times? Well, many times, actually. Uh, for instance, years ago, I heard the story of a, of a chief in a remote village in South America who got frustrated with the impotence of the gods he worshipped. He knew that he himself had made the wooden idols he bowed down to, and when the wind blew and knocked them over, he had to go pick them up. And he began to plead in his heart that if, if there was some kind of real true god, that he would make himself known to him somehow. Well, ten years after this, chief first began to seek in this way. Some missionaries flying overhead saw his isolated village and decided to drop some brochures about Jesus Christ out the window. Well, the pilot objected because he knew the villagers wouldn't know any Spanish, but the missionary insisted. And you can imagine the reaction of the chief. He sees this big, noisy bird flying overhead, and a brochure falls down. And, and so he picks up one of the brochures and carries it with him until one day on a trading expedition, somebody who knew Spanish and and also knew his dialect, reads him the story about Jesus Christ. He takes the good news back to his village, and years later, when some missionaries finally come through to his jungle, they find a group of people who are already believers in Christ. Really? Does this kind of thing happen that often? I've actually heard many similar stories and have read accounts of these amazing connections, which, which I take to be connections orchestrated by a loving God. The point is that this simply illustrates how God might fulfill his obligation to get the message to anyone who truly seeks. But, Bill, what if a missionary didn't get there? For instance, what about someone like the American Indians long before the first uh, explorers and settlers? What chance would they have? These are tough questions, Lamar, and we're certainly not given all the answers and particulars in the Bible. But it does tell us that while God's primary means for spreading the good news is through people, God can communicate directly if necessary, just like he did to Abraham and Moses. He can and will get the information to those who want to know. That's his promise. Okay, but what about people who can't hear or understand, like babies who die in infancy or the severely retarded? What will happen to them? Well, Lamar, that's another good question about which we really don't have much biblical information. Now, personally, I believe that babies who die will be in heaven as will those without the mental capacity to choose. As a matter of fact, when you consider the high infant mortality rate in underdeveloped countries, 
I think there are going to be an enormous host of people from every tribe and tongue and nation in heaven who, who died as babies. Well, I like the sound of that, but, Bill, why do you feel that people in remote areas will be held responsible, but then babies won't be? How are they different? Well, the difference is that babies are incapable of a moral response, whereas an adult pygmy, for instance, does have the capacity to seek based on the light he's been given. Well, that's a fair enough distinction. Bill, I don't want to beat this to death. <laughs> it feels like I have been a bit. But there's one more category I'm curious about, and that is the Jewish people before the time of Christ. Do you think that they're going to have a shot at making it to heaven? According to the Bible, some will be in heaven and some won't. But this is a question about which we are given lots of biblical information. For instance, there's a whole chapter in, in the New Testament about Jewish people like Abraham and Isaac and Joseph who were actually cited by God for outstanding faith. Now, hold on a minute. Didn't Jesus Christ come along well after they lived? Yes, but the Bible says they knew about his coming. The word for Christ is an English pronunciation of the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. The Hebrew scriptures, perhaps as early as the Garden of Eden, begin referring directly or indirectly to the coming of the Messiah. Okay, so you're saying that they knew about the Messiah even though he hadn't come yet. Yes, Jews have believed in a coming Messiah all throughout their history. They also knew that they didn't measure up to God's requirement of holiness even before the law was given to Moses. And they knew that a payment had to be made in order to satisfy God's demands for justice. They knew God was not lenient in the sense that he couldn't ignore sin or let it go unpunished. And that's why they offered sacrifices, which God told them he would accept as payment for sin and, and as the basis of forgiveness. Now, wait a minute. You're saying God forgave them even though Jesus wouldn't come yet for hundreds or even thousands of years just because they offered a sacrifice? Because they offered a sacrifice in faith. And because God said he would accept that sacrifice as a symbol of the ultimate sacrifice that the promised Messiah would one day offer. Now, by faith they were forgiven, not by performance or ritual. And here's an analogy that might help. Suppose I want to borrow a million dollars to buy a piece of property and that you agree to lend me the money at 10% interest. This is a hypothetical analogy, right? <laughs> Strictly hypothetical. Now, even though I was sure I would have the property resold quickly, let's suppose a year passes after I borrowed the money and still no sale. Okay, so now I'm giving you a phone call. Well, why? Well, you owe me uh, $100,000 in interest and uh, – I've got a pretty good idea if I loaned you a million dollars. I need my money. Of course. Now, suppose I manage to scrape up the money and I pay you $100,000 before the end of that first year. How are things between you and me at this point? And you bought lunch today? <laughs> Everything would be just fine. All right. Now, suppose this goes on for 10 years in a row. I'm unable to sell the land, but I pay the interest each time it's due. Well, that's what I would call a good customer. <laughs> All right. Now, suppose after I've made the 10th payment, I say to you, Lamar, I borrowed a million bucks, and now I've paid you 10 $100,000 payments. That equals a million dollars. I sure am glad I don't owe you anything anymore. Now, hold on a minute, Bill. All you did was pay the interest. That's rent. You still owe the principal. You owe me a million dollars. Well, unfortunately for me, you're exactly right. Now, when somebody like Abraham or King David offered a sacrifice for their sins, they indicated an awareness of the moral debt they had incurred as well as their faith in the sacrifice God said he would accept. 
their offer of a sacrifice was like the interest payment in the illustration. It left them forgiven and okay with God, even though the principal hadn't been paid yet because the Messiah hadn't come. That's an interesting analogy. That helps bring the Old Testament and New Testament together uh, in a much better way for me. All right. Now, let me change the story a little bit. Suppose, again, I borrow the money from you at 10%, but in this instance, let's suppose I'm able to sell the land at a nice profit and that within six months the transaction is complete, the deal's closed, and then I pay you back the original million dollars that I borrowed. Okay, plus six months' interest, of course. <laughs> All right, plus the $50,000 accrued interest. How do you think I would respond if one of your loan officers calls six months later and demands another $50,000 in interest? Well, this time you'd make the phone call. You'd call me immediately wanting to know why the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing over at our place. And a good question it would be. <laughs> well, exactly. Once the principal is paid in full, the debt is canceled and nothing more is owed. And when the Messiah actually came and died... He paid the penalty fully. He paid off the principle, as it were. So what's the primary difference between Old and New Testament believers? Well, in both cases, there's a recognition of sin and of guilt and about punishment being actually deserved. There's also a recognition about the need of a sacrifice. And in both Testaments, faith is placed in the sacrifice. The difference is that believers in the Old Testament look forward to when the full and final payment would be made whereas New Testament believers look back to when the Messiah actually made the payment. Their trust is in the final payment, whereas the Old Testament believers trusted in the temporary ones, the sacrifices. So you believe that Jews who lived before the time of Christ are okay after all? Well, not all Jews, but all the Jews who were willing to humble themselves before a holy God and admit their sinfulness and put their trust in, in God's forgiveness through the offering of sacrifices. Well, once again, Bill, you've given me a lot of food for thought. Uh, let me see if I understand all this. All right, give it a go. Okay, you say God is fair, first of all, because he won't condemn someone based on information that they don't have access to. So far, so good. And that everyone is disqualified for failing to measure up to the standard that they do have. Yes, go on. That the only payment for sin has been made by Jesus Christ and that anyone who truly wants more light, more information, will be given the chance, even if it has to be through some sort of direct contact with God. I think you've summed it up quite well. While I can't argue with your logic, Bill, I'm still bothered by the prospect of so many people not making it. That still puts me off. I'm bothered by the same point. So was Jesus. So was the Apostle Paul. But if the claims of Jesus Christ are true, then what it comes down to is that you and I have a choice to make about him. We can either be part of the problem or we can be part of the solution. Well, what do you mean? Whatever God decides to do about the masses of people who don't know about Christ, the fact is that you and I do know about Christ. If we fall short of his standards and we hear about Christ's payment for our sins and then remain passive or, or perhaps even actively reject that offer of forgiveness— could we stand before God with any excuse? Well, no, I guess not. Uh, I don't see what I'd have to say. All right, so if we hear but remain on the outside, we're still part of the problem of lost humanity even though we knew about the solution. Imagine standing before God one day saying, I knew you offered me the gift of forgiveness, but I never accepted it because I wasn't sure how you were going to handle the people who had less information than me. 
Well, that doesn't sound too good. Sounds uh, kind of brash or foolish or, or both. But on the other hand, if we receive the pardon that's been offered to us, we come to a point of personal safety and eternal life. We save our own skins, which uh, that doesn't sound too bad right now. Yes, but we also have the chance to help others. How's that? C.S. Lewis pointed to the analogy of the body of Christ, that we're all members. One's an eye, another a foot, another a hand. Every member added enables him to do more. If you want to help those outside, he said, you must add yourself to the body of Christ who alone can help them. Cutting off a man's fingers would be an odd way of getting him to do more work. Well put. Matter of fact, persuasively put. And now here I am faced once more with my decision about who Jesus Christ really is and, and what, if anything, he means to me personally. I believe you've hit the nail on the head, Lamar. We keep winding up here. Bill, I hope you realize how much I appreciate this opportunity to uh, ask my questions and to think out loud and to dialogue about these important issues. Uh, sometimes I wish I didn't have so many questions, but I'll warn you, I've still got a couple more. <laughs> Well, I hope you realize how much I appreciate your willingness to ask these good questions. Well, yeah, you've made it clear that you're okay with my questions, and um, I tell you, I'm feeling real comfortable in my talks with you. Hey, Lamar, I just noticed the time. Didn't you say you had a conference call at 1 o'clock? Yes, uh, I do. I wonder if maybe we shouldn't try to save those questions for another time. Well, I do need to scoot, but uh, before I go, let me ask you, are you going up for that training conference in Chicago in a couple of weeks? Hmm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I need to finalize my arrangements, and yes, I am planning to attend. Okay, I'm scheduled out on the first flight Monday morning. Uh, maybe you want me to call and see if we can be seated together? Ooh, that's a great idea, if you don't mind. Oh, sure, happy to do it. Thanks. Um, hey, Lamar, I know that you're tight on time right now. Why don't you go ahead to your conference call, and, and I'll get the check. Okay, that's a deal that's unbeatable. I want to thank you for lunch, Bill, and I'll be looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks, if not before. Sounds great. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill.